Uh, and again, I want to welcome those who, are, those who are watching live stream. I want to welcome everyone here tonight. It's such a nice, chilly evening to come out and uh, have Bible study. And I don't know if there's so many people here because we're in, entering Romans or Hebrews 6, or if it's just people are here. But it's, um, uh, I'm excited about tonight. It's a, it's a sobering text. Uh, it's one that, uh, you know, you can have easy peasy texts that you walk through and, uh, and then you get one that's just, you really have to spend time and prayer and research and study to, to come to a conclusion that is what you feel is the most correct interpretation of something. And not all scriptures like that. Uh, in fact, some of the passages that we've gone through in Ruth and Esther and the Kings, you can, you can, the, my only analogy is that you can run freely through the forest in the daylight, but at nighttime or when it gets dim, you have to slow down and tread very carefully. And so I feel that in certain passages, you have to really stop and slow down and, and set aside presuppositions and, and really really look at the scripture carefully and see what it says and make sure you're not saying what it doesn't say and and really lean heavily on trusted theologians that over hundreds of years have have poured into some text and and you want to find a commonality and so um so there's some weighty issues tonight and so i want to make sure we address them well a few announcements before we begin um this Saturday is a work day, church work day. If you could come out, we're going to be mostly outside from what I understand. And we'll be uh, just there. I think it starts at 8.30 and you can pick up palm fronds or you can you know, throw a few things in the back of your pickup truck if you have one. Or you can just walk the grounds looking and pointing and seeing what needs to be done. But it's just a, we're just getting it started. So it's like an initial work day. And, and there will be definite work days where we'll be inside the building doing a lot of things. But we're still in that... Uh, deconstruction phase, um, not to play on words for tonight what apostasy is, but anyway, deconstruction, yeah. So, um, but it's it's really just the, like tearing things down and, and breaking things apart. And when we get to that turning point where things are being built back up, that's when we kind of will have more things to do inside. But it's a work day this Saturday at 8.30 a.m. starting. You can come at any time. Um, what else? Uh, we still have a small group sign up at church. Uh, there are, they're filling up, but the small groups are doing great. There's some really neat topics in those. Um, Sunday school class is up and running with Jerry and Miko teaching on Jeremiah. No, Daniel. Sorry, Daniel. Um, and it's, uh, it's been wonderful from what I understand. There's a lot of people there. So that's a wonderful thing. And as always, there's always men's and women's Bible studies. Uh, Wednesday mornings as a, a Bible study for Men that perhaps can get there on a Wednesday morning that are retired or can take the time on Monday nights. There's a Bible study for men, uh, for, for those who work. Uh, and it's a very, uh, they're going through Genesis now in that study. So it's a, it, there's so many opportunities for growth, for maturity. We talked about that last week and maturing and growing. And, and, and there are opportunities for that. And, and uh, we as a pastoral staff want to help equip the saints to become ministers and to grow in maturity and, and to help you in your sanctification. And so that's sort of uh, nice to have those things available. So, well, let's begin tonight with prayer. Father, we, uh, we come to you tonight um, 
just grateful for uh, the mercies that you have on us. Lord, as we begin to navigate um, some texts that are a little more difficult, Father, we ask for your uh, for wisdom, uh, Lord, for, uh, for your Holy Spirit to illuminate the text for us and so that we can really see what you're saying in the text and what you're not saying, Father. Uh, we, Lord, we love you and we, we thank you again for all that you have done and all that you've provided and Lord, how good you are to us, Father. Uh, in your name we pray, amen. Amen. So, um, just to make sure we get a good understanding of, of a, a full running start at this passage, we want to back up a little bit, as I like to do, just so that you have a, you have a clear, because maybe some people weren't here. Um, I see Lou's still not here. She's apparently being with her daughter is more important than Bible study. So, but uh, Lou's daughter is still in town. And so that's where she is tonight. Um, but there's, uh, and there's a few people missing. How's Steve doing? Is he probably watching online? Okay. Okay. Hey, Steve. Uh, so, but, um, but anyway, um, but it, as we want to, Talk, I, the reason I said that is because not everybody was here last week or maybe the week before. So you want to see what's going on in the actual passages. We came out of five. Uh, if you want to look back briefly, we came out of five and we talked about the goodness of the high priest, how, how incredibly wonderful and great Christ is. And he's not just qualified, but he is the exemplary perfect high priest. And he's not just the great high priest, but he's a gentle, compassionate high priest, as high priests were called to be during the day. Uh, but he's greater than those priests because uh, if you look at 5 verse 8, he was the Son of God. He learned obedience that through the perfect obedience, through the perfect suffering, he became the source for our salvation, uh, eternal salvation for those who obey him. And then it touched a little bit on Melchizedek, and we're going to get into that in a couple weeks, I think. Uh, so, but he was a, a greater high priest in an order greater than the Aaronic, the Aaron, Aaron priesthood. And so it just continually builds this case. And the reason, you know, when we look at this entire book, it's, it's the author speaking to a group of Hebrews, and we don't know exactly which ones were saved, which ones are unsaved, which ones are just on the tipping point, but he's, 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 writing a compelling argument. He's writing an argument for the gospel of Christ. He's, he's uh, sending out warnings as, the, as the, these believers are coming into persecution, and then he's also encouraging. And so that's just to get an understanding, just a reminder of what Hebrews is. So he's, he's making a case that Christ is the greater high priest. As he comes into this, he... he, he uh, as we ended, we, last week, we talked about um, the dull of hearing. So let me review the, what we did last week. So coming on the heels of that, he was talking about the theology of Melchizedek and, and, and the theology of Jesus being a greater high priest. But he kind of pauses a bit, and he just wants to go, hey, guys, um, there's some heavier things coming that I want to talk about. And so he, he sort of Come, you know, gets on him a little bit, or kind of there's a kind of an, an exhortation. He goes, so a stunted. What we picked up from last week was a couple of things. One, that a stunted Christian life, in other words, people that just remain on milk and don't grow into maturity as they should, because there was a time frame this author was aware of. They were still working with the basics of Christianity. They hadn't grown. But there's two things that can result from a stunted Christian growth. One, 
It limits us in our calling to be ministers and teachers to others. Secondly, it handicaps us in the ability to discern good from evil, truth from falsehoods, and from false teaching, period, false teachers. And so a, a good robust growth in spiritual nature bolsters our ability to teach others as we're called to do, to minister to others, and it also equips us to, to, to against the onslaught of everything that's coming, all the falsehoods, all the false teachings that can occur, and to, make, to be able to make a defense against those things. And, and these, the, in this particular situation, these Hebrews were, were under persecution as an early church. They were also being drawn back into Judaism, into the old ways. It was tempting for them. And so that's clear in these passages that that was what was, is what was occurring. But that also can apply clearly to us today. Sometimes it's easier to fall back and into the simpler things and, and even maybe revert to uh, more liturgical uh, religions. You know, it's just easier. Um, but, and then with today's society, when, the, when, they were, when they bend and people call good evil and evil good, it's very easy to not know what is acceptable and what is not. And, 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 you know, again, I said a couple weeks ago, should, should I see that movie? Should I not see that movie? Well, there's a movie about, this new movie about Jesus. Is it really accurate? Should I, should I tell people about this? Because what, what if there's a falsehood in it? Should I read this book that just came out by this author? I, I, I know that he stepped away from the faith, but is, he was a Christian. Should I still read it? And so some of those things you need to, you need to sermon on. And that's why the growth in the spiritual nature. So he was talking to the people here this particular group, and he's saying, I've got so much to say, but you become dull of hearing. And then he says, you should be teachers by now, and you're still on milk, and you need to have meat, and those types of things to distinguish good from evil. But there's another thing that, as I was studying today, was just an extra bonus thought. It's not necessarily in the text, but good spiritual maturity and growth, knowledge and application, both, you have to have the knowledge and the application, uh, creates what we know as a forward momentum. And so, in a lot of the passages in Hebrews, you can tell that the author is sort of, um, he's sort of concerned with a falling back or falling away. He says to hold fast, don't fall away, don't do this. So, in the spiritual walk, and we'll see this far more deeply when we get into, uh, I think it's, I should know this because it's my favorite passage, and I can't wait to get to it, um, in 12. It's called the race of faith. And it's literally, Paul describes this, as, the Christian walk as a, as, a, as a walk of faith, a race of faith. You're in this, from the point of, of, of conversion, you are moving forward, and you're moving forward towards what? Keeping your eyes fixed on who? On Christ. And so there's a forward momentum in this, in this growing, in this maturation maturation uh, in our spiritual walk. We should be better and more like Christ in many areas than we were last month, far greater than we were a year ago and 10 years ago, no matter where, when you came to Christ. So there's this forward momentum. And what spiritual growth and maturity does is it allows you to maintain that forward momentum. When you're, when you're coming to Bible study midweek, 
or you're in a small group, or you're studying on your own, you're reading the Word, there's a natural forward lean that you have. And things of this world tend to grow strangely dim. They, they fall away. Don't you love that? that, that I love that part of that, uh, of that hymn. But when you're, when you're in the Word, and you know, you've experienced this, I know you have. When you're in the Word and you're focused and, you're, and things are, you're just running on all four cylinders, the world is dim. You're, there's a forward momentum. But if there's a stagnation in your spiritual walk, and you're not growing, and you're not, and you're just falling into the ways of the world, and you're just spending your evenings watching television or scrolling endlessly on Facebook or whatever it is that you do, a stagnation can occur, which can lead to a backwards fall. And I don't mean what we're going to go talk about tonight. I mean just simply stumbling back. You could call it backsliding. But there is a slope, a slippery slope that Christians, even true believers, can take. And so that's just that's another reason why spiritual growth that he talks about here is important. So then he goes on to say, as we come into six, but before we do that, let me just kind of give you an overview. I, I, the title, I, I don't really have a title. It's just such a, well, I mean, I, okay, I'll give you one, but it's going to be long. Okay, sorry. Okay. I actually do. It says right here, title. Okay. But it's a long one. Then I questioned my title after I, after I got done studying I, uh, this week and the title is Persevere with All of Your Heart, Soul, Mind, and Strength. And I sort of stole off the tail end of a, a verse, but, but persevere with everything you've got. Persevere with the help of the Holy Spirit, the perseverance of the saints. Persevere, stay strong, stay focused till the end. Finish strong. Fight that fight. Win that race. Jonathan Edwards, one of the great American theologians, of his, one of the greatest of all, but one of the greatest Americans, he said, I want to be the very best Christian in the whole wide world. That was his striving goal. And I mean, is there pride in that? I don't think so. Pride and boasting in Christ, but he, that's what he wanted to be, the best Christian in the whole world. I want to be closer to Christ than anyone I know. So there's that striving, that, that, that moving forward. I don't know. It's just, um, but that perseverance, that's where we're titled, sorry. But, but, but persevering with, with all of your, your, everything that you've got. And that's what we're going to find is the key to this particular passage. Because a lot of times, different denominations, different, different groups of people, different ideas stem from people sometimes cherry-picking a passage without understanding the full context and the big picture. They'll take something out and then use it as a proof text when in reality it's there for maybe a different reason. And so I want to be very careful as I walk through this because I don't know where everybody stands on a certain issue or, or on certain issues. And so I, I want to come into this teaching tonight with, with humility with gentleness and compassion, knowing that some people may believe a certain thing, some people may believe a different thing, some people may not quite understand it, but are, are, might go, oh, I didn't see it that way. That's interesting. And so as we begin this, I just want to remember that this entire letter is an, is an exhortation, a strong encouragement 
to the Jews who are either saved or have heard the gospel to persevere in the faith. So, because we know that this is a letter of exhortation, passages like we find in chapter 6 are meant to stir up the readers, to stir up the, those who receive this. Uh, we are to stir each other up in, in, in good works. And so this is really cause to stir us up and to, to really make us think and to ponder these things greatly um, into action. So let me set the stage for this text. I, I, I want to, again, I'm just treading very gently and carefully and slowly so that we have a clear understanding of definitions of things. But I want to use the word apostate because this, in my Bible it says, uh, in ver, right above verse 11, and you can check your Bibles as well, it should probably say warning against apostasy or something along the lines of that, right? Does it say that? Okay, so what is an apostate? What is an apostate? Well, in this today's modern version or modern uh, era, you'll hear the word deconstruction or a deconstructionism or deconversion. And that's what, you know, if, if you're up on the current YouTube stuff and, or social media stuff, that's what they're calling it. That's what they're calling people that once were claimed to be believers or were in the church or were influencers in a certain way, uh, you know, uh, the singer in Cademan's, Cademan's Call, a Christian band, um, uh, a, 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 a really like a, a podcast that has like 16 point something million subscribers, uh, one good mythical morning. These guys were crusaders, for, they were on the crusades for Christ, they were this, and uh, Joshua Harris, he, he, he was a pastor for many, many years and wrote a book called Kiss Dating Goodbye and sold millions of copies. All of those, all of some, and there's probably countless more, but they have all deconverted. They have all deconstructed. They now look back and mock Christianity and say it was not true. They, they have stepped away from the faith. And so I have to be careful with this because there's a word in this passage we're going to get to, and it says impossible. And with God, anything is possible. But there is a point at which someone can step so far away and deny Christ so severely, Judas, Saul, that it's impossible for them on their own to return to God. Now, God can do anything. And so until someone leaves this world, there is always hope. So even if someone wants to say, you know, I deny the faith, I never believed anyway, um, you bunch of guys, a bunch of crazies. I deny Christ. I, I hold contempt for him. Until that person leaves this world, we don't know if they were really truly an apostate. Okay. So let me just define, make a couple of de definitions here. What, apost what an apostate is not. If you're taking notes, this might be helpful. An apostate is not just a non-Christian. An apostate is also not just a struggling Christian. So here's what, what I believe an apostate is. Someone who seemed to be a believer was part of Christ's visible church, participated in the community of faith, 
and I'll, I'll have these notes if anybody wants that. I don't know if I should go slower if people are writing these down, but let me back up a little bit again. What an apostate is. Someone who seemed to be a believer was part of Christ's visible church participated in the community of faith. And then later rejects Christ, turns away from sound teaching, and leaves the church. Church as a whole. Or the local church as well. So someone who seemed like a believer was part of Christ's visible church, participated in the community of faith, and then later turns out to reject Christ, turning away from sound teaching, and leaves the church. So the main point here is apostates, in regards to what we're talking about tonight, are those who were once within the body of Christ. Or, excuse me, within the church. <laughs> Let me clarify that. They were, they were once in the church. Christ even said there will be wheat and there will be tares in the church, meaning there will be true believers in the church and those who simply are present in the church. They can still participate in things, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in detail. But I always mess this one up, but I'll try to get it right. So standing in a garage, help me out, <laughs> doesn't make you an automobile, right? So very basic, right? Thank you. So, uh, so an apostate really could look like a true Christian. Fair enough? Okay. So... Just to kind of start with, start with that, just so we can kind of get a general understanding of what that is or what it isn't. Now, as we come into 6 here, um, if you look at 6, the first, and he's talking, last week we talked about this, verse 1, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine. In other words, let's move on from it. You already know it. Don't, it doesn't mean leave it behind or forget about it. That means you know the basics of religion or of salvation. You know the basics of what Christ did, the gospel. So let's move forward. Um, and then it talks about uh, turning from our evil deeds, baptism, the return of Christ, the judgment of mankind. And he stops at, or it, it, the kind of concluded last week at, at the verse 3 where it says, And this we will do if God permits, knowing God is sovereign over everything, allowing you know, God is in control of all that. So we, that's why some people say, see you next week, Lord willing. See you Sunday, Lord willing, whatever God has for us. Now, this is where we begin to get into the, the, the meat of the issue here. Um, there, but before we start that, there are basically, let me just put a kind of a heads up here. I know I keep pausing, but there are two general that I've found. There's about four or five really that are really off skirts and stuff, but there's two general interpretations of this text. And I want to be honest with you and just under, and openly say what they are so that, and you may affirm to one, you may affirm the other, but let me just say what they are. The first interpretation of the text that we're going to get into is that the text is speaking of true believers who fall away forever. They lose their salvation, okay? That is one interpretation. I couldn't find a whole lot of really super solid things, but, but that is one of the interpretations of it. The second interpretation, I'm just going to speak of the two, uh, that this text is speaking of those that were in the church who appeared to be believers but left the, faith, left the faith and reject Christ and hold Him in contempt. And so I would argue, just based on personal study, everything I've known 
and then everything that I studied on this particular topic, which includes five scholars and theologians that all, I, I just kept grabbing things off the shelf and looking things up on the internet. And, and some were really far-fetched, some were very linguistic, like some strange, odd, argumental, uh, argumentative type of things about, well, he means this because of this, but that was very minor. But the five theologians, uh, two study Bibles that I just picked off the shelf, all affirmed the second part here. That is, a true believer in Christ cannot lose their salvation. And I can, we, I've got all kinds of eternal security uh, passages that can back that up, but I want to be cautious and gentle as we get into this. So from this text, that is the angle that I am going to be arguing, not arguing, but just talking about in this particular passage, that this text is speaking of those that were in the church who appeared to be believers, but left the faith and reject Christ and hold Him in contempt. Um, so the apostates generally were never true believers to begin with. So the flow... Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, there is, there is, there are, let me, let me just stop with that. There are two things when we're talking about salvation and eternal salvation. There is something called eternal security, which can be easily argued with Scripture. There's also something, though, called assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation is something all of us in, at one period in our, period in our lives have, have wrestled with. It's just the wondering, the seasons of doubt the seasons of, I can't, I keep on sinning, am I truly saved? Those, you know, are, are just these weird little moments where you're reading it past and you're like, this just doesn't make sense to me, or really, Christ came and he was a baby, and you know, just these seasons of, that's, but assurance of salvation is different from eternal security. We can have and know, based on the Bible, eternal security. I can give you all the passages that clearly, talk about once you're a believer, Christ can never let you go. That's evidenced. But there's something that we have, like you said, that you bring up that is you have doubts. People just naturally through the Christian walk will have assurance of salvation wonderings. And this passage can really throw you for a loop if you're not confident in that. And so I want to go through the whole text because as we get to the end, and especially next week, there are there's, it just ends beautifully with something that can give you an assurance of salvation. And probably tonight I'll be able to explain some things that will, will give you that, 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 that feeling because an assurance of salvation is very intrinsic. It's something that we can have head knowledge, but sometimes we as humans have doubts about things or we are not quite sure. What, what, what did that passage mean? Does that mean I can, that means I can be an apostate? What is that? And so there are ways to look at this passage that will give you more of an assurance of salvation if you don't have that. Um, so the overall flow, the writer describes an apostate. Um, it's a dire warning. There are warnings scattered throughout, and this is one of the major warnings here, uh, that the audience takes seriously the punishment of falling away to the point of eternal damnation. That's this. So the, the writer here is giving a very frightening and very bleak picture of what could happen 
to one that denies Christ, in fact, has contempt for Christ and wants to re-crucify Christ. That's a very dangerous place to be. No one would, I wouldn't want to wish that on anybody. And so that's kind of the, the degree at which this author uh, is, is bringing up this text. And so, but let's, let's kind of walk through the text here. And we'll start in chapter, or verse, verse 4, chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible. Now that's kind of the scary word. But if you look at the full flow, kind of pause what's there. And I'll, I'm just going to give you the generally what it says minus the middle part. So, for it is impossible for those who know and have participated, but have fallen away, to be restored. That's kind of the scary part. So, in other words, it's saying, I'll get, I'll get, I'll get to the meat of that in the middle, the, the meat in the middle there. But it's basically saying, I just want you to understand the general concept. It's impossible for those who once participated in the body of Christ, but have fallen away and rejected to be restored once again to Christ. Okay, so there's, that's kind of generally what it says, but let's kind of wade through this slowly and carefully. So verse four, for it is impossible in the case of those, and I'm going to be pausing here just to kind of make sure there's clarity on this. For those who have once, and remember he's writing to believers here because above this, they are new believers. Well, they're not new. They're believers, but they're still on milk. But he's talking about what I feel are unbelievers here in this next, this, this, because he's saying in the case of those, okay, who have been once enlightened. What does that mean? Once enlightened. Because that sounds like if you're a Buddhist, that, that's it. You're, you're in. That's the final thing to be enlightened. Really to be enlightened in this context based on what, what I feel is, is what they're saying here, is they have they've been aware, made aware of, been presented with the gospel of Christ. There's a knowledge of it. And so they have, they have the, they've received a knowledge of God's truth, whether that was from someone telling them that or if that was someone they were sitting within the service uh, in this particular church and they heard it, but they have received it. So, number one, uh, have been enlightened. That is simply they have knowledge of what Christ has done. They know the gospel. So let's continue on. Who have tasted the heavenly gift. Now, that's an interesting one because it sounds like, wow, that sure sounds like they, they're, you know, right there with, with their, you know. But uh, in this particular passage... I would suggest, or I would, based on kind of the uh, everything I've read on this, perhaps um, it could be referring to baptism or manna or, uh, sorry, not baptism, but, but communion, the Lord's Supper, tasting. But notice the word tasting there, and you'll see this come up again. And some scholars have said on a very, very elementary level, you can taste something, but you don't have to consume it. And so some peeps, you can, you can swish wine in your mouth all day long and do the bubbles and stuff, but that's just tasting. That is not ingesting. That is not making a part of who you are. You can taste little things of, of Christianity, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have taken it in and entrusted it with you and believed in it, right? So 
just kind of walking through these four things. So, tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a relatively easy one. Uh, on first glance, though, you could read that and think, oh, certainly the Holy Spirit means that you're saved. But, but what it says here, though, is that you have uh, shared in the Holy Spirit. That could mean a, a, a multitude of things. The Holy Spirit can work in your life convicting you before you're saved. But if you reject that, the Holy Spirit was still working in your life. You just rejected that. So this Holy Spirit can be moving. You can be a part of a body that is experiencing things and watching miracles happen. And the Holy Spirit moving without necessarily the Holy Spirit being inside of you. So the referring to in my, in this passage, sharing in the Holy Spirit, you could be witnessing miracles, blessings, and spiritual gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does many, many things. And I would say that in this passage, it refers to an unbeliever that is simply participating in the Spirit's work of the body. The next one, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God. You can sit and listen to preaching all day long. You can hear it from home. You can hear a podcast. You can sit in church for years and years. That does not make you a believer, a true believer. You're simply gaining knowledge, right? And then, and the powers of the age to come. So those things there looked at in the light of being unbelievers in all of, and putting this up against all of Scripture, make sense that you could do all four of these things or five of these things and yet not be saved. And so, again, I, I, I'm just one who studies the Word to the best of my abilities, but I relied really heavily on the theologians and scholars on this one. And I did find a couple that had other views. Some were really tangential, they were strange, but for the most part, the majority felt that this particular passage is not referring to believers, true believers, losing their salvation. So that's, I just want to make that as clear as I can, and that's just not something that I got in a dream or something. So, taste of the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. So, now falling away is really the main uh, marker, I would say, of an apostate. Someone who, in fact, you know, I, I was listening to, you know, I rarely listen to things on the topic that I'm teaching because I don't want to be swayed in any general direction or hear things that I would take and use as, as someone else's. Um, but I, I listened to uh, John Piper for a little bit on this particular passage this afternoon, just to kind of, as I was just kind of praying and, and kind of culminating what I, was what I was learning. And basically, don't even know where I was going with that one. <laughs> just lost. Um, he was, <laughs> I lost my train of thought. Um, the falling away, the apostates, I don't know where I was. It was good, though, and I'll probably come back to it, I promise. <laughs> Maybe it'll, it'll if, I, if, I, if I rethink this thing. So then I've fallen away. So the true mark, I was, I was saying, of an apostate is that they have 
there, I think I was talking about the sins and how some sins might not be greater than other sins. I don't know if there's levels, you know, but there are, there are some that are far more serious. And this seems to be one of an apostate that is very serious. When you know the truth about Christ, you have seen what Christ has done and can do. You've participated in a way, and then you firmly reject Him until the day you die. That is a serious sin. That is an apostate. An apostate is not someone that just struggles with doubt as a believer. An apostate is not one who even falls back into the ways of sin for a season and then comes back into the fold. An apostate is one that, that definitely and absolutely rejects what he once had known and, in fact, rallies against it and mocks. And, and, I, and I feel for, for John Piper, he didn't mention this, this was from back in the 90s when he was preaching, but his, one of his sons, uh, I believe it's Abraham is his, his name, is a completely rejects Christianity and goes beyond rejecting to do TikTok videos mocking Christianity in just these awful ways. If, that, if, if he doesn't repent before he leaves this planet, that's an apostate. And it's a very frightening thing to be. So I want very carefully talking about this, but wanting to make sure that, that people don't have doubts about Christianity and their beliefs and, and the security of what we know. These are people, I believe, that knew all these things at one time, but they likely weren't true Christians because they have fallen away now and are rejecting it. So it's very frightening. So it's impossible. Look at verse 6 here and then have fallen away, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance. They, they, they can't return to it. They won't return to it. Since they are doing what? They are crucifying, once again, the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. So what does that mean? That means they, what Christ did on the cross, what they know Christ did on the cross for them, is worthless compared to what they now have found in the world. You might as well just crucify him again because what Christ did on the cross means nothing to them. They're holding him in contempt. It's horrific. It's what a terrible place to be. And, and God talks about, you know, I, I'm always just very careful about this because I, you never know when someone is just backslidden or when they fall away or some people give deathbed, they, they come to know Christ on their deathbed. And so, but, but there's a certain point at which we as humans can reject Christ and reject the Word and know the truth. Romans talks about it, that God gives them over to themselves. It's really on their heads. Nothing's impossible for God, but it really seems to be impossible at that point when people have gone so far uh, that it's nearly impossible for them that God, because God's given them over to themselves. And that's a very scary place to be. Romans talks about that. There's three different levels there. So, again, though, nothing is impossible for God. There can be people that have fallen away. They were in the church. They mock Christ. They do this, but then come back to it. I have a personal friend of mine and whose son has rejected the authority of the Bible. He's rejected. He's grew up in church. He's rejected all those things, but I still pray for him. 
because God only knows until the very end what will happen. And so we continue praying. We continue uh, praying for people that, like, like that we know have rejected Christ, that are mocking, because we just don't know what God has planned. But it is a very frightening thing. So as we kind of come into verse 7 here, we begin to see that there's a very strong distinction in, 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 in doctrine. And the author here is sort of now saying, here's what I see, here's what happens actually, because, and there's two distinct types of people. And that's why a lot of scholars uh, are affirmed in, in this, that there are believers and there are unbelievers. And the rain, the knowledge of God falls on both. One flourishes, one should be burned. So let's read this passage here. It says, verse 7, For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it, the rain here referring to the, the truth of God's message, His Word, the gospel, everything that comes from, from God, the land that has drunk the rain that often produces a crop useful to those who, whose sake it is cultivated, for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. That, my friends, is referring to true believers. They hear the word, they hear, they have a knowledge of the good and of what, what the message is, and they produce crops. They produce bountiful fruits. They are, they are believers. That's, that's clear there. But, if we continue, but, there's the word, if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So right there in that particular analogy, you have two very distinct groups of people. You have believers who, when the word came down, when they sat in church next to someone else, they heard, they received, they have true salvation because it's evidenced in their lives. Someone sitting two rows down, heard the same message, received the same things, watched the Holy Spirit work, tasted of whatever, but rejected. And they're cursed. That's the two, that, there's really only two ways to, there's two things. When I, yes. I've heard this called the unpardonable sin. I've heard this called the unpardonable sin. I have, but but I, but I'm not sure. We'll have to get to that when we get to that. But yeah, so I've have heard that before. Yes. Who else? Whoever wrote this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. 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 You know, if you are out preaching against Christ, yeah. Is that the same thing as having well? Well, the Father. What we know, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one, and so, 
to, to answer the question about the unpardonable sin, I, I don't really have an answer for that tonight. Yeah, yeah no, I don't. But, but, but blessing the Holy Spirit, I would say, gosh, they're, 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 all, they're one. And in fact, something I wrote here, wrote, this is interesting, talking about people that are blasphemers. Um, this brings this up, Bob. This might be something that, that, uh, that might tie into this, this a little bit. If you are attacking, this is from John MacArthur. He says, if you're attacking, this is about the security of the believer. If you're attacking the security of the believer, whether that's through being an apostate or, uh, or blaspheming, whatever it is you're doing, you are attacking, number one, God, because that means God has changed his verdict. Two, you're also attacking Christ because his work on the cross was inadequate and his high priestly work cannot maintain us. And three, the Holy Spirit, he is inadequate to cause the believer to persevere. A discrediting of the entire Trinity is wrapped up in the denial of the security of the believer. So there is something to be said about blaspheming one, you're blaspheming the rest. Uh, so um, that's a good point. I don't quite, I don't, I don't know. I can't give you an answer directly on what your question was, but, um, but let's continue because I just want to make sure that we stick to the text. But I don't know if this is actually, because it doesn't necessarily say here if this is the unpardonable sin. So let's just kind of move, move on forward. But I have a feeling that it can tie directly to that. So, yeah, go ahead. Yes. Well, it, but the, actually, it says it's impossible for them to come back to repentance. Now, I think, just based on my reading, and again, uh, you know, I'm looking at the camera going, I, I, I didn't go to seminary. However, I think that the author is saying, for that person, it's impossible for them. For God, it is absolutely possible. That's all we know. That's all we know. There, but, but to get to the point of falling away so hard to the point of being unrepent, there's no chance for you, that would really, I would think, would rely more on man than God, because nothing's impossible with God. Right, Karen? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Right. And I think this is the big stumbling block that they had. Yeah. They could do a lot, they could say this is God, but the crucifying him they could not take because that meant if you were crucified at that time, mm. you were guilty of some sin. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, so and they rejected that. Yeah. Well, that's easier to go back to the, yes. the ceremony. Yes. And yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, it was far easier for those maybe on the live stream that didn't pick it up, but it was far easier. Okay, so place yourself in this time frame where in the early church they were being persecuted unto death sometimes. They were really, this was relatively a new thing. 
after thousands of years of ceremonial Judaism. And so some believers, excuse me, some people, again, this, this book is being written. We're not exactly sure throughout the whole book. There's three kind of, they say there's three main, main who knows who's going to read this. We know that in this texture, he was talking to believers, but he was talking about those who have fallen away. Maybe they fell away, like Karen said, because it was far easier to go back to what they knew. And at the same time, that's rejecting Christ. That's saying, no, I don't want that. So, yeah, yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, it's a very, very tough book, you know. I remember standing in the parking lot going, Brenton, what do you want to teach? He's like, how about Hebrews? You know, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, and that's, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so, again, I'm wanting to just carefully wade through this. I wish sometimes that we love you live stream, but wish sometimes that we could stop it and just discuss. But these are all good questions, and I love to continue these discussions. It's just tough on the live stream because they can't hear what the questions are. And, um, but these are all excellent points here. Um, so as we kind of continue this, let's just kind of move forward a little bit. I'm kind of running out of time, but I'm kind of not because I'm getting to a point where we're getting to some, some good stuff. We just talked about at the very end here, there are two basic f crops that are going to come from the rain. God's word will fall and be presented to the world. Some will reject and some will accept, period. That's, that's very basic there. So as we get in here, though, here's where it turns. And, and he's come out of this very stern warning of like, you're going to be, there will be those that are, will reject and will be apostates. But, but he's saying, but not you guys but not you guys. I don't believe that. I think you guys are showing that you're not. And that's where the beauty of this passage comes to the end here. In 9, it says, though we speak in this way, what way is he talking about? He's talking about just extreme, very, very uh, sobering things. And he goes, he goes, but though we speak in this way, yet in your case, now look at this last, look at the next word, beloved. Fellow believers, right? We feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. In other words, what you guys are exhibiting, though perhaps still young, are markers you're bearing fruit, things that are attributed to true salvation. I see it in you. You're not one of these. There's a contrast here. And that's what we had to get through that section to get to this part where he's going, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. In other words, we see these things. He says, look at 10. He says, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the name, the name, excuse me, your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. These, these believers were demonstrating the fact that they were true believers, that they were, they had, the rain had fallen, they had received, and they had grown the same rain that fell on, on, on everyone. There are wheat and tares. Christ talks about this. Not everybody that sits in church on a Sunday is a true believer. It's just the bottom line. But this particular group of people, the author felt he was comfortable enough with saying, you are believers. I see the fruit. I see the works. God sees the works. He goes on to say, 
Um, for God is not unjust as to, as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown in His name in serving the saints, the fellow believers, as you still do. And then listen to this verse. I love this. This is where, so he, 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 he kind of goes, he goes, he, he, he drops the bomb here, but he goes, but it's not you. I, I see that you're not. You're showing that you're, you, know, you have an assurance because you're, you're, you're loving one another. You're doing the things that reflect salvation. And then, because it's very clear what does and doesn't. And then he says, and here's the, the press on part. And it's always, and, and we desire, verse 11, each one of you to show the same earnestness to have full assurance of hope until the end. He's really bolstering in that the assurance of salvation there. He's bolstering in the perseverance of the saints. Notice he says, to the end. What do apostates do? They don't finish. They, don't, they, they, they stop. They reject. True believers persevere until the end. And that comes from our own pressing on and holding fast and, and running the race. And it also comes from the Holy Spirit in our lives, working in our lives to persevere us, to keep us, to hold us fast. So, and then he says, so that, so that you may not be sluggish. In other words, that you might not be dull of hearing, that you might move forward. Now, sluggish is an interesting term because sluggish really implies moving. It implies action. It implies moving forward, that race of faith. So you not be sluggish, you not be in, in mud, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is a reference to chapter 11, the great hall of faith, the, 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 the great saints that, that came before that were uh, just, the faith marked their, their journeys. And so he's kind of, he's encouraging, he's saying, press forward, don't be sluggish, um, keep the earnestness so you have the assurance of hope until the very end, the pressing on part. It's a great exhortation at the end there. Um, so, again, I, I don't know, you know, what you grew up believing, you know. Um, I grew up in a church that, that, um, that one day you could be saved and the next maybe you're not. I grew up in a church where if you didn't confess that sin before you put your head on the pillow, if you died at night, you probably wouldn't go to heaven. Uh, a very, and, and I just don't see that in Scripture. Um, I, in, in all of the text and all of the, the learning about eternal security. But one of the takeaways from this is that the assurance of salvation that we have, and that's, that's a whole other thing. In fact, the next, the next, next week's teaching is beautiful on the certainty of God's promise, the certainty of His promise. And that certainty informs our assurance of salvation. Uh, there, there was a Q&A with one, a pastor that I just love, and, and he, he's, he's a very strong pastor, uh, very firm. He's been doing this for 50-plus years. And someone came up to the mic on a Q&A and, and it said, Pastor, I... I I question my salvation. I'm, I'm worried about it. Am I one that might fall away? Should I even take communion? And she was in tears. And this pastor said, you know, spoke to the woman and said, the fact that you're here 
asking these questions, an apostate wouldn't do that. They, they reject it. The fact that you are concerned about your faith, the, the fact that you even have doubts, the fact that you struggle with sin but are upset about it and, and know you didn't please God, those are markers of an assurance of salvation. That means that you, if you didn't care, that's the dangerous part. The people that have fallen away that absolutely reject, that, that's the danger part. And so when it comes to an assurance of salvation, I, I would hope that, that you would know that, that not being present in church, that doesn't mean you're saved. But internally, how do you live your life? Do you, do you feel you know, conviction over things? Do you want to strive to be better? Do you do things and, and go, I shouldn't have done that, and, and, and ask for forgiveness? What is the, again, what is the bend of your life? And, and those things can really help people in the assurance of salvation. So this text was tough. Um, I, I don't have all the answers. My feeling on this, based on everything I've read, really talks about the apostates being those who were truly never saved. I don't see in Scripture where it says that those who are truly saved can fall away. I just don't see that. Um, and that's where, I, that's where I land on this. You may have a different opinion on it, and that's okay. I, that's why I wanted to come into this with, with gentleness and compassion, because I grew up that way. And, and, and until I learned some more Scriptures, not, I don't mean that in a bad way, but I was exposed to more of, a, of, a, of the, uh, the security of salvation, of eternal security, uh, that I began to think differently about those things. Um, it doesn't mean we can't have doubts. It doesn't mean we can't have struggles in our lives. It can't mean that even people have fallen away for a bit and can return. But there's a difference in what an apostate is and what a, what a fallen believer might be. So... Um, uh, the only application here, you know, I try to do application at the end of this, is just know that if you have ever had a concern in your life, whether you were saved or not, or are on the right road or not, those are all good signs. Those are all good things to question those things. And, and to, it's the point at which you stop, drop, and reject. Those are the dangerous times. And so just an encouragement in that. Next week really kind of shores this up when it comes to God's promises and what He's done for the believers. And so um, I'm excited about that. So with that, um, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank You for this day again, Lord. We thank You for this study. Um, Lord, sometimes Your Word is uh, challenging. It's sometimes it, it has um, you know, different, uh, uh, different interpretations, Lord. But uh, thank You for all of Your Scripture, Lord, that really informs us uh, about your truth and your, your word, uh, things that we might not understand from a particular passage. Uh, Lord, those questions can be answered in the rest of what you have to say in the word, Father. Uh, we thank you for your mercy and kindness and goodness to us. May we, may we continue to always persevere, Lord, to hold fast, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.